Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Such people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, child of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lap up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we gather to worship you, to praise you, and through music, through creed, through sacrament, through prayer, and even the words of the preacher. We yearn to hear your words for our lives. But as we listen to the words that we've heard this morning in worship and we'll hear for the rest of the hour, what we pray is that there is a clarity in our hearts so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So think back with me. For some of you, you need to think back 30 years. For others of you, you're like, that's a long time ago. No judgment. 
But think about how we used to get around 30 years ago. I mean, there wasn't Google Maps. MapQuest also didn't exist. Even GPS was only something we could talk about, but most of us didn't have a handheld. So then how do we get around? We navigated the world by maps. We would look at a big paper map and we'd spread out and go, I want to go from here to here, so this is the route I will go. And then we had to make sure that we took all the right exits. Or imagine if you were hiking in the woods and you didn't have all those electronic gizmos. The only way that you got there was you took your map and you spread it out. And you looked to the hills or the horizon and you found one or two points that you could recognize and you shot a compass bearing and you took a reading and you came back with a back azimuth until you figured out exactly where you were. And then you figured out where you wanted to go. And holding that compass in your hand, you followed the needle. See, the compass operated off this thing called True North, where you understood that this was always where North was, so that way you would be aware of how the compass operated on your course bearing. We stayed focused on that bearing, on that true north, so that we knew how to get from point A to point B. Well, in life, this book is that bearing point. This book is that map. This book is the GPS, if you will, for how we get from point A to point B in life. As Paul is writing, he is reflecting on what life matters, telling Timothy to be really focused on what really matters most in life, to be content with the blessings that God has provided to him, to don't be envious, don't let the green-eyed monster of envy pull you in and make you want what everyone else has, but be content with what we have, with what you have. He said, money is the love of money is the root of all evil. Because what happens is when we start to quest after that, we begin to think of other things than what God is calling us or what God has blessed us with. He's challenging the early church and to Timothy to not give in to the culture, but to live counterculture, to ignore our human condition where we have this idea of jealousy, but instead to focus on God's righteousness, to seek that in our lives, God's holiness for who we are and what we are to do. Be focused on the things of God's kingdom, the things that God wants for us, because they are superior to everything else in the world. If we're focused on the right things, then we are focused on the things of kingdom significance. And what I love about the Bible is as we read that in what Paul was writing to the early church, it made so much sense to them, did it not? But as the world has gotten older, the problems have gotten bigger, haven't they? The human condition has gotten more magnified. So those words are not just words for the old, the old church, the New Testament church, the Acts 2 church. They're words for you and for me right here, right now in the 21st century. Be focused on the things that build significance, things that are the right things, kingdom work, if you will. 
If you read any of the business leadership books that are out there, what's the first thing they say? That any organization that has a clear purpose, a clear focus for why they exist, what they are supposed to be doing, they will succeed. As long as they lean into that vision, lean into that mission. See, I believe that that not only applies to business, it not only applies to our personal lives, it applies more so now than ever to the ministries of the church. Because I believe that the local church, I believe that the church, what we are doing, that we have the body of Christ, that we have the greatest hope for the world and that we are the greatest hope for the world. I believe that the world can be better because of the work that we do in this room and that we take out in the world with us. See, it's that relentless pursuit of our mission, our purpose for existing, that yields those kingdom results. Any story of church growth, any study that says that vital churches have a clarity of purpose, of mission, that vital churches align all of their ministries along that mission so that they may achieve great things for God, great things for God's kingdom, so that the world is changed. Those are the right things. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy about, is being focused on the right things. And so here at Centenary, our mission is very clear, is it not? I mean, Doug could put this on the wall as we walked out of the doors over it that says that we will follow Jesus, make disciples for the transformation of the world. We could see that. It could be, make a great slogan, if you will, that we could put it on that. We could print it on a coin and give it in our hands so that we know exactly what it is that we're to do. But it's not just words. Our mission is personal. Our mission is life-changing. Our mission is world-altering. I mean, you think about the first disciples when Jesus called them. Think about who he called. He called them to leave their old lives behind. He went out to the seaport. He looked at a couple of commercial fishermen and he says, come follow me. Come along. And they're looking at him like, we're not the religious geniuses of the day. I mean, we deal with fish and nets. He says, you're perfect. Come along. He goes and he gets Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, you know, Matthew is like an agent for the Roman government. No one in the history of the world has ever liked the tax collector except for their spouses. No one likes the tax collector. In those days, no one in the Jewish world liked the Roman tax collector. And he says, come on, come follow me. And Matthew's looking at him like, have you lost your mind? He says, you're perfect. Come along. And then he goes to Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot is in the Jewish intelligentsia. And what does he do? He fights against the Romans. I mean, that's like putting dogs and cats in the same room. And Simon looks at him and says, you called Matthew the tax collector. If you bring me on board, as soon as you turn your back, you know what we're going to do. We're going to argue. We're going to have spirited discussion. We might even have fisticuffs once or twice. And Jesus says, ah, you'll figure it out. Come along. Because he asked him to join the adventure. To go on an adventure with him to get to know God better and who God called them to be and how they can make the world different because of who they were. That they were just the right kind of people. Well, here's a secret, folks. Guess who else he called? You and you, y'all, them 
and me. I mean, the same is true for us. God meets us right where we are, flawed and as imperfect as we are, with warts and all. God knows exactly what he's getting when he calls us. And yet Jesus comes to us and says, you are just what I'm looking for. Leave it all behind. See, this is a personal calling. You and I are called as individuals and collectively as a whole. We're called because what we realize is following Jesus means that we are doing our best. That we are called to be better people. That God sees such potential in each of us that we can be better than we think is even possible for us. God calls us to love God with our whole heart. To love our neighbors as ourselves. As United Methodists, we understand what John Wesley said. Those three things we talked about back in January. Do you remember what they were? First, do no harm. Second, do good. Third, stay close to God. You see, when we realize that our calling is very personal, and God looks at us and calls us by name and says, you're mine, come on board, you're just perfect. This is what God wants us to do. And to follow him means that we spend our waking hours, that we try every day to be better people than we were yesterday, better people this afternoon than we were this morning, so that we would keep living that mantra to do good to do no harm, to stay close to God. And as the more we do that, the more the path becomes clearer. The more the trail becomes clearer, the more the compass reading run, we understand where that bearing is and we've got it in our heads. Because to follow is to be focused on God's righteousness for our lives. And that's what matters most. Not just for us, but because it changes our lives and the lives of those around us. And so the more that we follow, the more we realize that this is personal, the more that we begin to dial into that and we begin to focus on it, we begin to hear Jesus' other words on the mountainside when he got the disciples together and he said, now listen up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out in the world and I want you to tell other people about me. So he said that more simply by go and make disciples of all nations. It's the same comment to us. Go out in the world and tell other people about me so they will know my love for them. They will know how much I want them to follow along too. How I am calling them by name through you. And see, this part of our divine purpose both deepens our own faith, but it invites others to make the journey with us. It brings other people along so that we begin to realize that being a disciple means to be a fully devoted follower. It means to dig deep in our faith and to practice the means of grace and the marks of discipleship so that all the world has no mistake about who our God is and about who we are following, oh, and about where we are going. So those means of grace are things like, oh, we did it when we joined the church, remember? What did we say? We said we've said we would support the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And so when we do those things, those marks of discipleship, we are leaning into it and showing the world what it means to deepen our faith. So remember our homework this week? Remember when we said we were going to support the church by our prayers? How many of you did that? How many of you prayed every day this week? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But imagine... There are about a thousand of us here in the last week. Imagine if all of us prayed seven days a week, that one prayer. That is 7,000 prayers being lifted up to God. Tell me that doesn't change the world. 
Tell me that doesn't draw us closer in faith. Whomever we're praying for, if you're praying for your neighbor that they would come to know Christ, tell me that doesn't chip away at them because God's spirit is being poured out on them continuously. But what if we added to that? What if that wasn't just last week's homework? That was this week's homework as well. And if we added to it that we would read one verse of scripture a day. So again, about a thousand of us, seven scriptures in a week, 7,000 scriptures. Some of us will somehow miraculously read the seven, the same seven, but roughly let's say that we don't. I mean, 7,000 scriptures influencing our lives, having God work on us to speak to us through the Holy Word, through the map. That begins to focus our work, does it not? Then we talk about presence where we're here together in worship. I mean, if you took your calendar out and you looked at how many times this year you have been in worship here or online versus how many times you haven't. What if on January, what if on January 1, you counted back all of 2019 and you said, eh, we made it to church this many Sundays. Very few of us, because of just life circumstance, have perfect attendance. But what if we decided to start 2020 by saying, you know, we're going to attend church three more times than we did in 2019. It makes a difference. It deepens your faith because God continues to work on you. You hear more. You see more of each other. We grow together. Think about our giving. I mean, Reed talked about this a little bit earlier when he talked about stewardship. Think about what we give to church. And he talked about that estimate of giving card you got in the mail. Don't see that as a burden. Don't see that as something that you've got to do or as an obligation. Let me tell you what that is. That's a thank you note. Think about what God has blessed in our lives. And we fill out that pledge card. We're saying to the finance committee, we are so thankful for what God has given to us that we want to give some of it back to God. And this is what we're going to do so that the church can plan these ministries that we want. But our giving is not just that. It's not just a pledge card. It's not just our money. Our giving are things like random acts of kindness where we show God our appreciation and thanks by the way we treat each other. Last week we talked about prayer shawls. The Shining Light on Mental Health group in our church, they have a bag called a mercy bag or a comfort bag. It's an opportunity for you to pick this up and you know someone that's having a tough time and you go to them and you give it to them and you say, I just want you to know that I'm concerned about you and someone cares. But you know what, if you have ever been in a place where you think no one cares, whether you get a card in the mail, a phone call, a text message, or even a bag from church that's got things in it, a devotional guide, even a chicken pie. It says, you matter, and I've noticed, and I care. That's a gift, my friends. We talk about service opportunities, how we can look at how we're involved in the church. What if we volunteered for one more thing in our lives? What if we gave one more thing, used a little bit more of our time, our most precious gift, and we gave it to the service of the church and the service of God? And then finally, our witness. So we essentially are entering the fourth quarter of the year this week. Imagine with me, if you will, that we decided that our witness, now if you want to go share your faith and you knock on the door, someone say, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If that's good for you, if you're comfortable with that, I applaud you for it. 
But what would it look like if you went to someone and said, you know, I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to my church. So sometime between now and Christmas Eve, you went to someone that you know would love and would benefit from what is going on in the walls of this church, in the heart of this congregation, and you invited them to join you. Now remember, there's about a thousand of us. And if each of us invited one person between now and Christmas, think about the difference that we make. We invite them on that journey of discipleship. We invite a thousand people to come in the doors and to join us for worship, for ministry, to be on that journey of faith with us. Because when we do that, when they join us, when they do the, and when we do these other things, these other marks of discipleship, we begin to understand the heart of God, and we begin to understand what a unique and important gift that we are giving not only to ourselves, but to the world around us. But our calling is not just to follow, not just to make disciples of ourselves and of the world. Our calling is to transform, around, transform the world around us, not just transform it, not just to change it, but to alter the world, to alter its trajectory, to alter its course so that it goes from wherever it's headed to what God wants for the world where God's kingdom comes near and everyone begins to realize that people are seeing the miracles of God that happen through our lives and our practice of faith and our devotion, our calling and our mission. See, that's what happens when the local church gets focused on its purpose. When I think about it, what happened in the United Methodist Church about 13 years ago, we were exposed to this idea that malaria was really hurting the world. It was hurting the third world especially. So we signed on with the United Nations and we entered into the Nothing But Nets campaign. And in Nothing But Nets, we devoted our ministry resources, our time, our youth groups did car washes. They did fun runs. We raised money through our portionment giving and we poured money into this campaign to provide mosquito nets into the malaria zone of the world. Because we felt like if we would provide that, then people could have a good night's sleep and wouldn't worry about being bitten by the mosquitoes and contracting malaria. And guess what? While we're not quite there yet, we haven't eradicated the effects of malaria on the human race. We have so greatly reduced it that it's negligible. Because we were focused on our mission. Brothers and sisters, that's world altering. That is world changing. I think about our backpack ministry, what we are trying to do. We alter the trajectory of our youth and our children, those that are food insecure. I love that term when you think about it, food insecure. If you've got teenagers in your house, you know what I'm about to describe. They are always hungry, aren't they? I mean, they can come home and they can eat five boxes of cereal, three gallons of milk, four bags of chips, and you say, don't ruin your supper, and then there's nothing left in the fridge after dinner, is there? Teenagers are always hungry. But imagine being a teenager and there's no food at all in the house, ever. That's food insecurity. So imagine the trajectory that we're changing. Imagine how we're altering the world through a backpack ministry when we at least say to them, when we hand them a backpack full of food for the weekend, that we think you matter enough. That we want to give you hope for the future so that you can eat this weekend. That's life altering. That's course changing. Our missions committee is doing that just as well. They are focusing our efforts so that our money, our people, our material are being 
deeply focused so that we're not a mile wide and an inch deep, but that we are an inch wide and a mile deep. Building partnerships that are making big changes in our community and around the world. That's why Reed said that we want to double our mission giving. We're talking about a $250,000 increase in our mission budget. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. I think we can come out of the gate and do that because when we are able to do it, we can now be two inches wide and a mile deep, making a big altering difference in the world around us. But it's not just money. Folks, it's really not just money. It's about our hearts and our hands. So you look at your calendar and say, gosh, you know, I really want to get more involved in church. I want to do something that's significant. I want to make a difference in someone's life, but I don't have a lot of time. Well, let me tell you what, when we get around to the winter season, our City with Dwellings partnership is always needing a driver. Always needing to drive someone from their offices over on Spring Street to the overflow shelters. So you can spend a couple of hours volunteering to drive the church bus. It's easy work. You just drive. We do this to work, we do this to carpool, we've been doing it for years, but you drive this bus and for the 14 people that, whatever, the 14 people that ride with you, it makes a difference. Because what you say when you're driving that bus is that you care, so they don't have to trek all over the city looking for a warm, safe, dry place to sleep, that you're willing to transport them from a central location to a place that is exciting to receive them. A place that will provide them a safe place to sleep, a warm place, that's life altering because they know they matter in your eyes. You have given them the gift of your time, your hospitality, your kindness, and shown them a little bit of what heaven could look like. See, changing lives is to give a non-returnable gift to the world. A gift that the world cannot give back, but they can only pass on to others. When we give and we think about being focused on our mission and our ministry, when we really get into that, that life-altering, that world-changing part of it, we are bringing the kingdom of God closer to earth so that all may see it and know that it's possible because we're followers of a God that's much bigger than all of us. So much like the early church, the world is clamoring, the world is vying for our attention, the world is saying, do this, do that, do this. But you know who's calling for us most? God yearns for our attention most. God yearns for our hearts. The Acts 2 church understood that and they focused on it. And as it says in scripture, it added to their numbers on an everyday basis. And when we focus on that too, when we focus on our missions, we realize that our mission is the most compelling mission. It's the world, it's an opportunity to what the world needs to hear. What we have is what the world needs to see. What we're doing is what the world needs to know in its heart about us and about God because it is both personal, life-changing, and world-altering. And when we focus on that, we too realize what is already happening in this place is that God is adding to our numbers every day because God's kingdom is coming that much closer as we take those steps one at a time, focused on the goal that we read right off the map in this book. Amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.